Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Are you bitter? Do you have have bitterness in your heart? I know that's, for some, that's that's a really loaded question, right? I mean, some of you in here, you're bitter this morning because someone sat in your seat, right? You had a hard time worshiping because the audacity of that person to not know from before the foundation of the world, God ordained that that would be your seat, right? You have bitterness over a friend that you should have been able to trust that just completely let you down or maybe a parent that wasn't the mom or dad that you should have had. The truth is all of us carry bitterness in our lives. Today we're going to talk about that bitterness, about the bondage of bitterness in our lives. Some of the most frustrating moments in my life come while sitting in traffic. Anybody else with me? Right, I have to remind myself, you know, here in in Washtenaw Parish, when I get behind eight cars at the stoplight and get frustrated, it could be a lot worse, right? We lived in Dallas. You know, I didn't mind traffic, you know, in the the eight o'clock in the morning time, five o'clock in the afternoon, you know, the work traffic. But it was like three o'clock on a Saturday You're just driving somewhere. Maybe for some of us now, it's driving through the Metroplex, right? And you just sit there for like three hours, right? And you're just sitting there, just frustrated that, man, you want to go, but you just can't go. That's true when you're sitting in traffic. But here's the reality today is that for some of us, that's true in our hearts, That there was some moment in our life that we experienced a hurt from an individual, from a way a situation played out. And and it, it has shaped us in such a way, not just of the disappointment and the hurt we felt in the moment, but it has put us in park in every other area of our life. Sure, we can go through the menial task of life. We can fake it on the outside. But honestly, today... You find yourself in bondage to bitterness. For some of you, it's been a bondage of a couple of weeks. For some of you, it's been a bondage of three or four decades. Today, we're continuing this journey in the freedom and forgiveness. Last week, we were reminded from Psalm 130 that our God, the God that we have come together to worship today, is a God who forgives. That is in his nature. He is holy and perfect and blameless, and we are not And out of his grace and his mercy and his love towards us, he extends forgiveness towards us. And we're going to see today the call for us to forgive others just as he's forgiven us. But before we go on that route of really looking at what biblical forgiveness looks like in your life, today I want us to start with kind of shining a spotlight on this issue of bitterness in our lives. Because for some of you, you may not even recognize that it's really there. 
And I would be disappointed if we walk through an, uh, an intentional couple of weeks here talking about forgiveness and you just walk through it with a, well, that'd be good for someone else. Because the reality is, is I've been preparing for this, uh, for, for this sermon series. The Lord has been revealing areas of bitterness in my life that I never knew I had. Things that I didn't know that I was carrying around. Things that I didn't know were impacting other areas of my life. And, and my prayer for us is that we truly would experience the freedom of forgiveness. But we can't experience true freedom until we realize that maybe there's some bondage there. And so today I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look here at two verses that's going to kind of set the, set the foundation for our time today in dealing with this issue of bitterness. When you get there, I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. The Apostle Paul writes, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm confident today. That what's in front of us is a significant task. To be able to be honest with ourselves. To be open to your instruction in our hearts and in our lives. That we would maybe consider that not only bitterness is present in our lives, but that we are in bondage to it. So, Lord, I pray right now for that person that's under the sound of my voice that right now is in the deepest depths of that bondage. Or whatever hurt that they've experienced, the wound, the disappointment, that God, even that person today would know that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there can be freedom that is found. And I pray that today as we shine a light on this, that it would not just illuminate the presence of bitterness in our life, but that your word would help us to know how to start taking steps to walk out of it. God, we want to walk in freedom, freedom you invite us into. And so God, help us to see the bondage clearly today and move in our hearts in such a way that we would have the courage to begin to step out of it. Be with us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word today. We're going to consider that bitterness controls every aspect of our lives, but that freedom comes through forgiveness. Let me say that again. Bitterness controls every aspect of our lives. But freedom comes through forgiveness. Now, when we, when we say that word bitterness, there's a lot of ideas that can come to mind, right? We have our personal experiences that may inform what we think about bitterness. When we look at the Bible, the understanding of bitterness from the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, Stephen uh, Viars, I believe is how you say his name, uh, written the book Overcoming Bitterness is a great resource for you. Just let me say that again, Overcoming Bitterness is a great book. 
Um, But he reminds us that the biblical picture of bitterness is this poisonous, putrid bile that comes out of your gallbladder. Some of you are like, no, I'm good. I had my gallbladder taken out. Next subject, right? That idea of poisonous and putrid that would impact your physical body in such a negative, strong way. That's the understanding of the Old Testament, the New Testament, when it comes to bitterness. It's not just a feeling that you have. It is something that injures you, that harms you as you walk through life. He goes on to say that bitterness, it is a low-grade smoldering anger towards a person or an event because of the hurt that they have caused. Right? It's this low-grade anger that's just always there, that always exists. It's smoldering. It is active And it exists because of the hurt that you have experienced in your life. Lee Strobel, the famous author of The Case for Christ and other books, he said, bitterness is always a poison. It keeps keeps your pain alive instead of letting you deal with it and get beyond it. Listen, he says, bitterness sentences you to relive the hurt over and over. Some of you today, you're like, yep, that's exactly Right. And here's what I want us to know, that we can't control every aspect of our lives. We know that. But on this issue of bitterness, we can look deep into what it is. We can, and this is my prayer for you, is that you would even be willing today to consider, would you look introspectively and say, is this true in my life? And then hopefully when we recognize it and see it, we begin to walk out of it. And I want us today to look at kind of a case study in the Old Testament where I believe that we see these issues of bitterness and anger, jealousy, these things, how when they're present in our lives, this low-grade anger, right, the smoldering anger, how it can come to the top, how it can bubble to the top, because I think it's going to help us to see areas in our life where those things may be true, and it may point us back to the root of bitterness in our life. So go with me from Ephesians chapter 4 to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, just to bring you up to speed on what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you remember, God led his people out of Egypt. They were becoming the nation that he had promised to Abraham that they would be, and the people longed for a king. And they begged for a king. And finally, God relented that he would give them a king, and he gave them one named Saul. Now, the Bible tells us that Saul was, he looked the part. In many ways, he was the obvious pick to be the king of Israel. But what we find over time is that spiritually and emotionally, Saul was lacking. We're going to find that in his disobedience in time, God would remove his blessing of Saul as king. But as he was leading, God had given instruction to Samuel to go and to find the next king. And it came upon a shepherd boy named David. David, at one point, would go to deliver some food to his brothers who were on the front lines, who were fighting the Philistines. And there was a giant who was talking trash to the Philistines, and the Philistines were paralyzed in fear. And this young shepherd boy, full of faith and courage, stepped out in front of this giant and said, Listen, you may come to me with all your power and might, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, he defeated this giant, and it spurred the Israelites to action. They defeated the Philistines that day. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we find the response of the people as David and the armies are coming back. They're coming home. And I want you to listen 
and pay attention as I read this. It's going to be a little bit of a length here as I read this. But I want you to pay attention to where we see Saul's anger and jealousy and bitterness, how you see it at play and what we're going to see unfolds as the shepherd boy comes home to his people. Look with me in chapter 18, beginning in verse 6. We'll go through verse 19. It says, as the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. And David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. And when Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. Saul told David, here is my oldest daughter, Merib. I'll give her to you as a wife if you'll be a warrior and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And then David responded, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? And when it was time to give Saul's daughter Merib to David, she was given to Adriel of the Methylite as a wife. It's like Jerry Springer, isn't it? Some of y'all don't remember that. Don't go look it up, all right? And what is happening my man Saul is picking up a spear and throwing it at David, at this shepherd boy playing his harp. And he missed twice. For some of you Star Wars fans, right? He's like a stormtrooper, right? Can't hit anything. But here we see this low-grade anger smoldering because of the experiences in life, bitter experiences that now is going to come to the surface. Let me give you a couple of observations from this text to help us recognize bitterness in our life and the impact that it has. The first one is this. Understand, your bitterness builds a false reality. Your bitterness builds a false reality. We, we may look at this 1 Samuel 18 passage at first glance. We go, we had a right to be upset. I mean, he's the king. He's leading the nation. There's a lot of responsibility on him. And, and now here's David who just shows up and all of a sudden he's getting all the credit. But commentators tell us that the heartbeat of these ladies and the song that they're singing is one of general rejoicing over God's providence and how he is caring for the Israelites. So for them to say that Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands, the heartbeat of that of these ladies is not to take a shot at their king. They're simply rejoicing in all that God has done. But for Saul, because of his experiences already to this point and how he is viewing David and the anger and jealousy and bitterness that exists, there is a perception of what is said and it is different from what is real. And that is absolutely true when we walk around with a heart that is bitter, when a heart that is jealous, when a heart that is Anger, angry. These things create realities that aren't really 
there. They're just not there. Hear this. When, when my heart is not right, when it's, when it's impacted by anger or jealousy or bitterness, as we talk today, when my heart's not right, then my perspective won't be right either. And when my perspective isn't right, it produces a false reality. I begin to view a person only through the lens of the unhealthiness of my heart. I begin to view an event in my past only towards, only out of that place of an unhealthy heart. And that unhealthy heart, it means my perspective isn't pure and right. It is jaded by the hurt in my heart. It is jaded. And that wrong perspective, it produces a false reality. In that book, Overcoming Bitterness, Stephen Viars, he says this, people don't become sinfully bitter when everything is going their way, right? It's easy to be happy on a holiday. Sinful bitterness occurs when we respond improperly to the hurts, frustrations, or disappointments in life. So we experience these things in our life. They hurt us and they wound us. And hear me today. This idea of dealing with bitterness and this path, this journey of freedom and forgiveness that we're going on, this is not about saying that it wasn't a big deal or that the person wasn't wrong or it didn't hurt or that we should simply sweep it under the rug and overlook it. I'm not saying any of those things. Simply today, I'm dealing with the bitterness of our heart that continues to relive the hurt over and over and over again in such a way that now even the way that I would view someone who has wounded me, I can no longer view them as someone created in the image of God. If they're a believer, I can no longer view them as a brother or sister in Christ. I, I can create a false reality that there is nothing good that they will ever do or say again because I'm just reliving that hurt over and over and over again. It creates a false reality. We see that it did here for Saul, didn't it? But it's not just creating a false reality. It impacts the decisions that we make. Your bitterness, it binds you to dark decisions. It binds you to dark decisions, right? Look at me in verse 10 through 12. Right, the next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul's holding his spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin him to the wall. But David got away twice, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Our bitterness, it binds us to dark decisions. Now, some of you, right, you look at verse 10, and you go, well, Michael, before we talk about bitterness, can we just acknowledge what verse 10 just said? That's a, hard, that's a hard verse to read, isn't it? And I, I, I'm not going to have time to cover that uh, exhaustively, but I do want to acknowledge that in this moment, as the story's unfolding, it says here that an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul. Is that saying that God proactively sent evil on Saul? Well, let me clarify for you. First, I want you to understand that Saul, twice to this point, has directly disobeyed the instruction of God for his life. First, we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 13, where he was called to wait on Samuel to offer the sacrifice. He chose not to do that. We see two chapters later that Saul failed to obey God and how they were to handle the Amalekites when they went in battle with the Amalekites. And so he has disobeyed God, and we see here that God has taken his hand off of Saul. And the idea that we see here is not that God would send an evil spirit proactively on him, but it is more the position that he would allow this to happen. We know James tells us that God is not going to tempt us to sin. We recognize that, that he's not proactively going to do that. 
But we do see times in Scripture where God may allow things to happen as a point of discipline or even as a point of testing. A great example of that is in the book of Job. Remember from Job chapter 1, the story of Job, where we see God and Satan having this conversation. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And he allows evil to come into Job's life. He allows that. He gives permission for that to happen. And the response that we see from Job is very different than what we see from Saul. This was not God stepping into Saul's life in a way that would overcome his free will to make decisions to do what was right or do what was wrong. But it was simply God in his sovereignty allowing this to take place. Now, again, I know for some of you, you want the rest of our sermon to be about this, but we don't have time for that today, all right? But we see here that this low-grade anger, the smoldering anger over all that's unfolded is now coming to the surface. And it is coming not just with the false reality that Saul's not able to see things right. He's seeing things through this jaded view of the hurt or the jealousy that he's experienced. But now it is coming to the point that it's impacting the decisions that he's making. It's impacting the things that he is doing. And it is true in your life. When I'm carrying around anger and bitterness, jealousy in my heart, it will always come out. We may not recognize it. We will not be able to connect the dots that I did that or I said that or I'm doing this or I'm not doing this because of the bitterness in my heart. But it is absolutely true. I love Dr. Gary Smalley says this. I've said it to you before. I'll say it to you again, I promise. But it is so helpful for us to be reminded that that low-grade anger is always going to bubble to the surface. He says this, you never bury anger dead. You don't. You always bury it alive, and it will resurface. It's going to happen. And for Saul, it surfaced to the point of grabbing a spear, and he wanted to pin the dude to the wall. Listen, if you're trying to pin someone to the wall with the spear, you need counseling, right? You need help. But here's what's also true. If you find yourself constantly demeaning, speaking ill of a coworker because they got the promotion you thought that you deserved, or they sent the email that you asked them not to send. You may not be throwing a spear, right? But you, it is surfacing to the top. And you might need counseling for it. I'm a huge proponent of counseling. You might need someone who is trained and gifted by God to help you process all that you're feeling and dealing with. But for sure, you need to deal with your bitterness. Because it's bubbling to the top. The third one is this is that your bitterness affects more than just you. It affects more than just you. We see here at the end of this account of Saul and David that Saul's jealousy, anger, and bitterness in this situation, it brings other people into the picture. Right? He comes up with this idea that, listen, I'm just going to send David off. I'm going to let the Philistines kill him so I don't have to do it. Right? Now he's justifying his evil actions, right? I'm going to kill this man, but I'm going to do it passively, right? That was the motivation, not for the sake of Israel, right? It was for his own personal gain. But then we see here that his willingness to offer his oldest daughter, Merib, for his ploy. I want you to think about that. Think about the depth of, of mess in his heart that 
you would be so blinded by your anger, so blinded by your bitterness and jealousy that you would decide, you know what? So that I could wound David because of the wounds that he's caused me or because of the jealousy that I have over the good that he has acquired. To, to, to get back at him, I'm going to sacrifice in some ways the desires of my daughter. Well, that's heavy, isn't it? But it's what bitterness always does. If you don't believe me, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. You may recognize the first part of this verse. He says, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Have you heard that before? I hope you have. Make sure no one falls short of the grace of God. And listen, and that no root of bitterness springs up. And listen to what it says, causing trouble and defiling many. The root of bitterness. Don't let the root of bitterness spring up. Listen, Jesus was very clear. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. People are going to wound you. They're going to disappoint you. There's events that are going to take place that are going to go the way you didn't want them to go. That will happen. When we look at Scripture, we see moments over and over again where we see bitterness come into play. We see with the Israelites when they were in Egypt being oppressed by the Egyptians, they were working and the desire there to make their work harder. It says that they made their work bitter. Bitter experiences. We all face bitter experiences in our life. You will not escape this life without suffering bitter experiences. But the question is, what do we do with those experiences? And if we don't deal with them through the biblical pathway of forgiveness, then bitterness begins to take root. And you can imagine that if bitterness is the root, imagine what the fruit is. It's not good. And when that bitterness begins to take root in your heart, what does it say? It causes trouble. Right? We convince ourselves that if I just continue to keep that wound before me, then in some way it's making things bad for them. Right? Saul here is dealing with this jealousy, with this anger, with this bitterness, right? He's scheming and planning. He's thinking through all these things. What is it doing? It's causing trouble. And what's David doing? My boy's just playing the harp, isn't he? Loving life, playing the harp. Thinking about hitting that dude with a stone right between the eyes. Like, I'm a bad man who can kill a giant and play a harp. How many guys you know like that? And here's Saul just root of bitterness, causing trouble. But what does it tell us here in verse 15? Defiling many. When I'm carrying bitterness around in my heart and I'm not honestly dealing with it, it's going to impact others. Parents, when you bring bitterness from the workplace, when you bring it home, your family will feel it. They'll see it. They won't know what it is. They'll just know, man, over the last couple of weeks, mom, dad, they haven't been themselves. Right? Our bitterness, it, it impacts others. It, it brings trouble into my life, and it is highly contagious. And so, as R.T. Kendall says in his book, Total Forgiveness, that's another great resource for you, Total Forgiveness. We'll be talking about that book in the weeks ahead. But he says, when we're bitter, we delude ourselves into thinking that those who hurt us are more likely to be punished as long as we are set on revenge. Right? We set our minds on revenge that, listen, we're going to wound them. We're going to get them back. 
And all it's doing is causing trouble, and it's highly contagious. So let me do this. In the time that we have left, let me give us a couple of things here. Uh, Number one, how do I know that I'm in the bondage of bitterness? How do I know that? How do I know that bitterness is playing a significant role in my life? Let me just give you a couple. This is not an exhaustive list, but just a couple of things for you to consider. Number one, you'll see the symptoms of it showing up in your life. You'll see symptoms like uh, sleeplessness, short-tempered, a general negative perspective on life, maybe isolation, moodiness, right? I'm not saying that if you have those things in your life, you are a bitter person. But if you are bitter, it is going to show up in different ways in your life. The second one is this. How do I know that I'm in the bondage of bitterness? I constantly replay past offenses over and over in my mind. Just can't let it go. You cannot get to a point of being able to move past it. And hear me today, when I say move past it, we're going to talk about this in the weeks ahead. I'm not saying sweep it under the rug. I'm not saying that what they did didn't significantly hurt you or wound you. I'm not saying that it was no big deal. But if I continue to relive that over and over and over and over and over again, I'm in bondage to it. Another way that I can know that I'm in the bondage of bitterness, I constantly, some, I constantly see someone for what they did more than who they are. Here's what I mean by that. You have a coworker who lies to the boss about your job performance and it impacts your role with the company. And so now that relationship with that coworker, now all that you can see them as, as a liar, that's it. So you get to a point that you're convinced that there is nothing good or right that they could ever see or do. That's all they are. They are a liar. They are now defined by their action more than who they are as a person. Now hear me, I, I'm not saying that that means you go back to entrusting them with every area of your life. I'm not saying that. But, but if, you're, if you're in the bondage of bitterness, that that person that wounded you, if that's all you can see them as, then we got some hard work to do. Last one is this. This one is, I think, probably the most significant that shows that there's real, real bondage in your life. Is that my actions are influenced by doing what would please or anger the offender. In Tim Keller's book, Forgiveness, He writes about a conversation that he had with a young lady who experienced um, a very strained relationship growing up. It was with her dad. And he he was helping her to see the bondage that she was in. And he said, as I hear your story and the way that you're living your life, what I see is that there are things in your life that you would love to do. But you're choosing not to do those things, even though you'd love to do them. You're choosing not to do them. And the reason that you're choosing not to do them is because you know that your dad would be happy for you if you did them. And there's other things in your life that you know you probably shouldn't be doing. There's rhythms and patterns in your life that you're choosing to give your life to that you know you don't need to be doing that. But you're choosing to do those things because you know it would tick your dad off. For some of us, that hits really close to home, doesn't it? Because for decades, that's been your life. You're choosing to do things or not do things. Think about that. The way you are living your life is being dictated by someone who, they're not walking around with that wound anymore. That moment is gone. It is past. But, but because we're continuing to relive it and relive it and relive it and relive it, it's dictating the way that we live our life. That's bondage. And I want you to know today, we don't have to stay in that place. It tells us here in Ephesians chapter 4, 
that we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And again, we're going to walk into that. But we've got to be able to recognize the bitterness in our heart to be able to move into that place. And so in verse 31 and 32 of Ephesians chapter 4, 31 is this picture of to take off or to put off. And in verse 32 is to put on. So just like you would go work in the yard and your clothes get all sweaty and dirty, right? You're going to take those off and you're going to put fresh ones on. And so he's saying, we've got to take off anger and malice and slander. We've got to take these things off and let's put on forgiveness. So how do we today, let me give you four takeaways today. How do we start this process of stepping out of the bondage of bitterness into the freedom of forgiveness? Number one, don't throw the spear. Don't throw the spear, right? Just as I said, when we have bitterness in our heart, our actions are, 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 are motivated by a heart that's not right, and it will come with regrets. So don't throw the spear. Think about what you say and what you do. But if we stop there, it would be, a, um, it would be wrong of me because that's, number one, that's an issue of behavior, right? And I... I'm not here today to tell you to correct your behavior. That's not what the Christian life is about, about having good behavior. It's about having a heart that's changed by Christ and living in joy of him, living in obedience to him because my heart has been changed. But, but we can start at that place saying, hey, don't throw the spear. It will not go well for you. All right? But let's do the heart work. That brings us to number two. Be honest with God in yourself. Be honest with God in yourself. Bitter experiences that we face in life will lead to bitter behavior. But that bitter behavior is a result of a bitter heart. And so we've got to deal with the heart. And as we deal with the heart, we just start with being honest with ourselves to be able to be willing, just willing to recognize that there is bitterness in my life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10, it says, The heart knows its own bitterness. And no outsider shares in its joy. Would you be willing today to just take that first step to just say, I'm willing to take a look at my life and see, is there bitterness in my life? Is there a wrong of a person or a group of people or an event in my life that I am just continuing to relive over in my life? So be honest with yourself. More importantly, be honest before God. Be honest before God. This is the idea of biblical lament to God. Students, if I'm not uh, wrong, I think y'all looked at the Psalms today in life group. Am I right with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we look at the Psalms, we see over and over again these Psalms of lament, this crying out to God. And it's an honest cry before him. Mark Vrogop, when speaking of biblical lament, he says this, biblical lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Right? It's that moment in the psalm where the psalmist says, God, this is what I feel. This is what I've experienced. But yet this is what I read in your word. These are the promises that you give me. And right now, God, it feels like there's a really big gap between what you have promised and what I'm experiencing. And I want you to know today, God wants to hear that from you. I mean, he he gives us pictures of this in his word. The ability to come before God and to say, God, I don't like this. This is difficult. 
I don't understand this. I'm struggling with this gap between what I've experienced, these hurts that I've experienced in my life and how people have let me down and done me wrong and, and, and yet the life, this abundant life that you've called me to live. But yet over and over again in those laments, we always see them conclude with a place of trust. But God, I'm gonna trust you in this. I'm gonna trust you. Listen, biblical lament doesn't end in frustration and despair. Instead, we find hope and trust because prayer points our hearts to the Lord's love, to his strength and his wisdom. So we're honest before God. Number three is this, allow others to be honest with you. Who's that friend in your life that you can trust? They can say whatever they want to you, no matter how, mad it, how bad it hurts, because you know they love you and they're for you. Sit with that person over coffee and say, hey, do you see a pattern of bitterness in my life? Hey, you know that event that we talked about last year that I told you? Has that been, like, do you feel like I resurface that in conversations? And part of it is not just allowing them to be honest with you. It's you being honest with a friend to be able to process and talk through that, not with the goal of shaming the person who hurts you. That's not it. It's not a gripe session. But it's an opportunity to say, can you help me process through the hurts that I've experienced in my life? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, silence is an awful thing for the sufferer. Right? For some of you, that bitterness that you're carrying, you've never spoken it to anyone else. You've kept it all inside. He says, silence is an awful thing for the sufferer. Mourner, tell your sorrow. Do it first and most fully to God, but even to pour it out before some wise and godly friend is far from being wasted breath. Find that friend, that life group leader, that minister, that pastor, whoever it is you can sit with and say, hey, I'm struggling with this in my life. Will you help me process through this and pray with me that I can experience the freedom that comes in biblical forgiveness? And that's the last one, number four, pray and process through biblical forgiveness. For some of you today, I want you to hear me very clearly on this. For some of you today on this issue, I believe it will be the greatest step of faith that you ever take as a believer in Christ this side of heaven. Let me say that again because I want you to feel the weight of what I just said. For some of you to be willing to identify the bitterness in your heart, and to be willing to consider what it means to walk in biblical forgiveness and to begin to take those steps of releasing them from that offense and to be able to move forward with life, for you to do that will be, for some of you, it'll be the greatest step of faith that you take this side of eternity. Why do I say that? Because the wound that you've experienced is that deep. And it is a moment for you to have to trust the Lord that, God, I can trust you. That when you say vengeance is mine, that I no longer have to keep reliving this in my mind with a desire that it would punish them. Because I'm going to leave that to you. And I'm going to lay it before you. And so I want to invite you to, and listen, I recognize, again, for some of that, that wound is really deep. 
And for some of you in this journey, as, as much as I'm willing to sit and to visit with you and to help you process through what that looks like, you need to sit with a biblical counselor who, again, is trained and gifted and passionate about helping you to do that because of the wounds that deep to help you get to that place of freedom of forgiveness. But I just hope that today we would just begin to take that step to say, you know what? I'm willing. I'm willing to deal with it. I told you in the Old Testament, we see this picture of the Israelites in Egypt, and it says that the Egyptians made their work bitter. That was a bitter season for the Israelites under oppression. But we know the story of the Old Testament is that God would deliver them out of it, right? He, he would deliver them out of this oppression. He would deliver them to become the nation that he had promised them to be. But as a part of that, and as a reminder for the people that every year they were to celebrate this Passover meal. I referred to it last week when we took the Lord's Supper together. But it, it, was this, it was this meal that was to help them to remember God's faithfulness. And if you're familiar with that Passover meal, you know that it begins with the call for them to eat a bitter herb. And that bitter herb, it was something, it was like a lettuce type material that was only found in Egypt. That's the only place that you find it. And so for them to every year to celebrate this Passover meal, they would have to take this bitter herb and, and that taste would fill their mouth as a reminder of the bitter experiences that they faced in life. And then after the bitter herb, they would move to unleavened bread. It's a reminder of them of how God did deliver them and how he did it in such a speedy way, how things changed like that. But finally, they would move to the main course, which was the lamb. You remember on that 10th plague, when the death angel came through, they took the spotless, unblemished lamb and they took the blood and they covered the doorpost so that when the death angel of judgment came through, that because the blood covered that home, that their judgment was passed over. And so every year they begin with the bitter herbs to remind them of the bitter experiences of life. They eat the unleavened bread to remember them, that God can deliver them out of that bitterness, but it only happens because, because of the lamb. Listen, today, that step of faith of walking out of bitterness into forgiveness, that's a hard thing in front of you. But I want to remind you that with God, all things are possible. And he has demonstrated forgiveness towards us and he has demonstrated hope towards us and that there was an unblemished lamb who went to a cross to pay the punishment that you and I deserve. And he rose again from the dead, showing that he has victory over all of that. And so today, I want to remind you again that the gospel matters, not just for your moment of coming to faith in Christ, but it matters for every single day that you could look at God and say, God, there's a big gap between what I'm experiencing and what I know to be true. But God, at the same time, I recognize you have met my greatest need in Christ through coming to pay the punishment for my sin. And God, because of the gospel, I can trust you to help me walk out of this bitterness into forgiveness. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.